Do you believe in hard work? Do you believe in natural talent, God-given or otherwise? Do you believe that things in life should be handed to you? Do you know what blood, sweat, and tears into something you love doing encompasses? Do you understand muscle memory? Do you believe in luck? Do you believe in happenstance? Or do you even see that some people in life were born on second fucking base and those idiots seriously think they came out of the gate hitting a double? Or do you believe in something else entirely? We're not all wrong, are we? Let's go digging. Welcome to another episode of Comic Syndicate. Check them out at thecomicsyndicate.podbean.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Josiah and Adam. Welcome to another episode of Deep Dives and Rabbit Holes, the podcast where we talk about anything and everything. I'm your host, Josias, at ForTheVillain on Twitter, at Comic underscore Syndicate on Instagram. What's up, guys? All right. Ooh, that was, man. That was my phone. Sorry about that, guys. All right. Um, back one more week. I have a lot to talk about. I have a lot to go through. If you guys have never listened to a Deep Dives and Rabbit Holes, I normally leave this precursor. Uh, it's completely different than the other podcasts. Um, this is a topical breakdown of any topic. Nothing is off the table. Um, the art of tipping. Why you should tip. Why tipping was fucking ever created to begin with is fucked up. Um, lost at sea. Maritime rules and laws. Um, things... Men, quote-unquote, are supposed to do? Do you know how to shake someone's hand? All these are all topics that uh, have been come across, um, along with so many other topics, guys. It's just a single topic breakdown of anything in particular and researching, going through it, uh, things that I've read and know about a certain topic and deep diving the fuck out of it. And uh, referencing, cross-referencing, which you guys have heard, um, and just researching like a motherfucker and going down a rabbit hole and, and how do I feel about this? Something that I've heard about or even experienced. Uh, I'm going to give you my own personal experiences a lot in these, especially this one in particular. This one is based on the 10,000 hour rule. Have you guys ever heard this before? I've heard of this many Many times. Um, the actual ideal behind it, though, if you guys have never heard of it, let's break it down, and then I'm going to toss in a few thoughts, and then I'm going to continue on back and forth. This is water cooler talk for the most part, but again, you guys sh- should all know. I'm, that's going to sound terrible for me to say. No, you guys should have heard it in, in some form or another. K. Anders Ericsson. So let's break down what this cat is. He was born October 23rd, 1947 and died on June 17th, 2020. He was a Swedish psychologist and Conradi eminent scholar and professor of psychology at Florida State University, who was internationally recognized as a researcher in the psychological nature of expertise and human performance. Ericsson studied expert in performance in domains such as medicine, music, chess, and sports, focusing focusing exclusively on extended deliberate practice. Examples, high concentration practice beyond one's comfort zone. As a means of how expert performers acquire their superior performance, 
Critically, Erickson's program of research served as a direct complement to other research that addresses cognitive ability, personality, interests, and other factors that help researchers understand and predict deliberate practice and expert performance. Continuing on, with Bill Chase, he developed the theory of skilled memory based on detailed analysis of acquired exceptional memory performance. Chase, W.G., and Erickson, K.A., in 1982, this happened. Erickson's research with Herbert A. Simon on verbal reports of thinking is summarized in a book, Protocol Analysis, Verbal Reports as Data, which was revised in 1993. Bear with me, guys. I go deep diving. I'm going to give you guys dates and names of people you probably haven't heard of. But this is actual fact. The Psychology of Learning and Motivation, Volume 16, New York Academic Press. One of his most striking experimental results was training a student to have a digit span of more than 100 digits. With Walter Kinch, he extended his, this theory into long-term memory to account for the superior working memory of expert performers and memory experts. Yes, this is going somewhere, guys. In the domain of deliberate practice, Erickson published an edited book with Jackie Smith toward a general theory of expertise in 1991 and edited a book, The Road to Excellence, The Acquisition of Expert Performance in the Arts and Sciences, Sports and Games, that appeared in 1996, as well as a collection with, uh, edited with Janet Starks, entitled Expert Performances in Sports, Recent Advances in Research on Sport Expertise in 2003. In 2016, he and Robert Poole published the book Peak Secrets from the New Science of Expertise. Erickson was the co-editor of the Cambridge Handbook, Handbook of Expertise and Expert Performance, a volume released in 2006. He was also fellow of the American Psychological Association. All right, guys. That's just to give you some background. Okay, so with that being said, this is where we're at right now. And this is Josias's thoughts, ideals, opinions. How do you guys feel about this? Okay, this is where we're at now, and what I have to ask you, the audience now, is have you guys or girls or kids or children, I know a lot of people, and it sounds stupid to say, um, I know we have a, a weird demographic for this show, trust me. Have you any of you played an instrument? Yes, in school or otherwise. Clarinet, fucking recorder, whatever it is. Have you ever played or participated in a sport with all efforts involved so i don't mean yeah i played badminton once in, in pe um and i'm not knocking badminton at all but what i'm asking is have you ever been in any sport activity social environment game gathering chess club debate team dance club dance recital recital contest cooking contest function function uh judged or been judged in anything in life I and mean, that's kind of a stretch and i might be wrong there but that's kind of life right we, we all have in a certain way or another and to piggyback that one and this is kind of a random question are you just a fan of or and rather watch see or read other 
people pick what they do best in. Sports on TV, for example, American Ninja Warrior, shit like that. Football, NHL, MLB, uh, NBA, across the axe throwing, it doesn't fucking matter. Are you one of those people that just, oh, yeah, that's something I'm never going to fucking try. Now, this particular one has been on the back of my mind for a long fucking time. And I was figuring out the best way to, to attack this particular deep dive. And I guess the thing that made me more passionate about writing it, I guess, is the Olympic trials are going on right now. And to, I love the Olympics. And throughout the years, I never pay attention to certain sports until the trials come along, until the actual Olympic Games come on. I have played a sport. I, I do a lot of weird shit that I'm into. And I have love for, for sports and I have love for work and work ethic and what it takes to become the best in your field, whatever field it may be. Now, hence the breakdown and hence this kind of um, ease into this one. This is going to be a short show, guys, so bear with me. Now, again, I'm one of those weird dudes. And lastly, I guess what I'm asking also in this, have you ever learned what it means to lose? And no, I don't mean I lost my keys or I lost my favorite shirt or I lost my favorite boxers or matching pair of socks. I mean, legit, in a sport of or any activity, when shit hits the fan, when you're doing something you love with all your heart, that you put so much time into, so much effort and emotion into, this passion, this love of yours. The only thing that makes sense in the world to you, so long as you're not hurting one and anyone else in the process, of course, I have to add that, and this is all me talking. The legit blood, sweat, and tears of losing in a competitive context, of course. Do you know that world? Yeah, I gave a little breather there, but I mean, think about it, guys, of leaving everything you have on the field, on the court, in a hall, or even on a wrestling mat, when your coach or mentor is ripping you to pieces when you lost, when you know deep down what you did wrong and how you messed up, you didn't just fail them, <laughs> but to feel like you failed yourself. That's some pain right there. So when your friends, your boys, your brothers, your sisters, and I'm putting it in that context, your brethren in any sport or any field, whatever it may be, your softball team for you girls, your dance recital team for boys and girls, when your friends, your family that you work out with to become great, are there for you and they're telling you you did great and you just know in your heart it wasn't good enough and you just want to be alone and to even as a young man as a young adolescent whatever might be the case you cry because it hurts so much because it's a different type of pain and you know you just weren't the best of you 
that day. Or maybe it's even the fact that the person you're standing across from is just better than you. All right. It's a weird context of the world we're living in where I, I honestly and truly don't believe in the world of certificate of participation awards. Uh, everyone can disagree with me and that's completely fine. It's just my mindset. I am old school. This is just a conversation, conversation starter. In my insane mind, in this insane world, I still believe in the old adage that with, with hard work brings success. And guess what? Fuck me. I'm probably wrong in that theory too. The dude that works all the time. But when it comes down to it, it, it is a subjective mindset. I'm definitely wrong, and I'm probably wrong. And guess what? You're probably wrong too. But do you really honestly and sincerely believe that sitting on your ass will bring you anything in life? Or do you think you're going to get things handed to you at all in life? Or are you really good at anything where you latch onto it and you just want to attack it and get better at it because it's something you love doing. All right, my thoughts. So let's continue. Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours rule explained more than accountants. And I know this next article is going to sound a little bit trippy, but it also goes back into um, prior dude. As a team of online accountants, we thought we would explain this. The 10,000-hour rule is a popular ideology when you put 10,000 hours practicing deliberately on an activity, you can master it. It is a magical number introduced by K. Anders Erickson, a psychologist, and later on popularized by, popularized by Malcolm Gladwell in his book entitled Outliers. The 10,000-hour rule argues that anyone can be an expert of various fields by allotting thousands of hours to become successful in it. Gladwell called successful individuals whose achievements are out of the normal as the quote-unquote outliers. Now, let's talk about that real quick. How do you guys feel about natural talent? Some people do have it, and people just reach out to and they're good at things and you know when people are good at things whether it's talking to people whether whatever it is a sport axe throwing again archery fucking bubble gumption whatever the fuck it is juggling anything and erickson's research he grouped violinists into three groups the first group consists of elite level violinists the second group of somehow quote-unquote, good violinists, and the last of those who are only good enough to be a music teacher in a public school. That sounds very fucked up, condescending for the most part, guys. Sorry, I'm trying to get comfortable here. They found out that almost all participating violinists started playing at the age of five. However, what made the difference is hours, the hours they took practicing the violin, playing the violin for the following years. Okay. So this is still part of what it is. Now, I'm going to be one of those parents. I know it sounds weird to say. Um, I have no kids, but looking at the world and I'm never going to be that dude that shoves something down someone's throat. Uh, just because I wrestled, you have to wrestle. Just because I was a star football player, you have to be. No, just because um, those parents that um, 
I was going to say those ugly kid contests. Um, sorry, I fucked up. Uh, the, 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 not recitals. You know what I'm talking about. The baby June people. That sounds fucked up. Um, to force your kid to be a, a child star, I, I guess, is the best way to put it. You do those ugly kid contests. Sorry, guys. I made myself laugh there. Um, those, those things. I'm never going to shove something down someone's throat unless they want me to. Um, continuing on, the Beatles' popularity was an, was not an overnight success. Now, this is still on Homeboy. Widely known outliers are the Beatles and Bill Gates. Before the Beatles' popularity in the U.S., they were invited to play in a strip club in Hamburg, Germany. They were forced for eight hours a day, seven days a week. Due to this, they amassed more than 10,000 hours playing together, mastering their music, before they got famous in the U.S., Likewise, Bill Gates spent more than 10,000 hours in computer programming before he became successful with Windows. When you give an effort into something, you will get a reward. Gladwell believed in the principle where effort brings reward and called it, quote-unquote, meaningful work. For him, there is no such thing as talent or gift. Let's put it on pause right there. How do you guys believe about natural talent or a gift? I kind of still tend to feel and have seen those people with gifts and natural talents or abilities. Continuing on, since then, this magical number was followed by many individuals striving for greatness. However, according to the new studies, this rule is widely inaccurate. 10,000 is just an arbitrary, arbitrary number, according to Erickson. Gladwell's work is a simplistic view of his research quote unquote, or parentheses, that anyone can be automatic or can it be automatically mastered or master any expertise when worked on several hours. And that sounds fucking a little convoluted. He later clarified that in a study, the ten thousand hours is not the magical number to become a master. But on the average, time spent by the elites practicing, it took only some two thousand five hundred hours. But others it took more than 25,000 hours to attain great performance. It is on our advantage that the rule is inaccurate. It only means that we can be a master of any field within less than 10,000 hours. However, it also could mean that even if it took us more than 10,000 hours, we can never master a field. Additionally, a new study in Princeton that there is only a 12% difference in performance when practicing in various fields. A study by students from a case Western Reserve University argues that deliberate practice delivered only 26% performance differences in games, 21% in music, 18% in sports, 4% in education, and only less than 1% performance difference on professions. And I'm taking my time there to read off those numbers and stats so you guys can hopefully wrap your head about it or around it. And if you guys need to rewind it, just hit the 15, 5 second, whatever you guys have on your on your apps. This only shows that deliberate practice can help little to no little to none performance difference in areas such as music and sports. Moreover, this is useless to rapidly changing fields such as technology and business. Here are some key takeaways, though. And maybe I want to stop it there real quick. Um, I know how to play guitar. Uh, I am decent. I'm not good. Um, I tend to play for myself, and it's a form of escapism for me. 
Um, have I played in bands? Have I played with bands? Have I played with bands? Have I played in bands? Yes. Uh, am I good enough? Is it something? Now, I'm not a front man, and I don't see myself in that world. I love creating, and I have written songs, uh, lyrics, and, and, and songs. Like, I've written guitar pieces, and I do have those, but I don't find myself being a musician. Like, I know that's not my field. Do you guys have that aspect in your world? Does that make sense to you guys? All right. Here are the key takeaways now. Number one, find your passion. Finding what you are truly passionate about is the first key in succeeding. What is the use of practicing thousands of hours in basketball if you never really liked it to begin with? In doing business, find the niche you are most interested in. Let's take technology, for example. There you go. Number two. Focus on one goal at a time. Never stop until achieved. After pinpointing your passion, you should come up with the goals you want to achieve. You can start small, such as setting your goal in the first week as publishing my website with 10 articles. Your next goal can be learning how SEO works. Number three, a lot time daily. Take time daily on things that can improve your business. Ask yourself, how can my website get better? How can I attract traffic? It's kind of ironic uh, during this podcast. Get some expert help if needed. That's number four. Let's be honest for a second here. We are not perfect beings. We are bound to have flaws. It's just how human nature works. There will be things that we are not capable of mastering, even comprehending. At this point, you should get help from experts. Experts can help in making our success faster. In our example, you can get help of SEO and analysis, and I'm sorry, analysts to get the traffic you've been wanting. Well, I'm butchering words already. Perhaps a 10-hour rule is a myth. However, this does not change the fact that practice is one of the keys to success. It takes courage, luck, drive, and practice for one to succeed. It takes time to master something. Keep dreaming. Okay, so now let me ask again. Do you believe in any innate ability? Do you believe that hard work breeds success? I know it's a dying theory that I've come to, to notice now. Um, I mean, you have these online fans only shit. You have these YouTubers that are dumb as fuck. You have TikTok. Like, is that, is that talent? But as long as they're able to make a living, I guess. I mean, fuck it. I don't know. Do you believe in handouts? That kind of sounds like the fucking TikTok people. Do you believe that things in the world or universe will work themselves out as far as natural talent? Or he's a natural. She's a natural. She was just born with it. What Malcolm Gladwell got wrong. From the author of the 10,000 Hour Study. It's a lot more nuanced than we thought. In 2008, Malcolm Gladwell's hugely popular book, Outliers, brought attention to a previously little-known study of violin stud students at a German music academy. That study was a major contributor to the literature on expert performance, but wasn't widely known until Gladwell took a result from the finding and branded it the 10,000-hour rule. As rule has been popularly understood, all it takes to become a world-class expert in any fields is 10,000 hours of practice. To his credit, this isn't exactly what Gladwell said. Nor was he writing about the 10,000-hour rule to create a roadmap for everyone to become an expert. 
but it's what most of us remember as a lesson from outliers. He made a compelling case, as and an, as evidence put up a div- diverse set of examples, from the Berlin violinists to Bill Gates to the Beatles. I recently interviewed Anders Ericsson, the lead researcher in that now-famous violinist study, and he set the record straight on what Gladwell and all of us missed about the 10,000-hour rule. All right, guys, how do you guys feel about this so far? I know it's a tangent, but bear with me. This is going to be a lot longer than I thought it was. My apologies. But uh, here we go. First, it's not actually Ericsson's rule. It's Gladwell's. Quote, unquote, some people don't realize that it was Malcolm Gladwell who actually came up with this idea of a 10,000-hour rule. I think he emphasized sorry, of almost the magical aspect that when individuals have spent 10,000 hours, then they can act actually... Are, um, they actually are able to make contributions, like the more outstanding individuals, Erickson says. Continues on, quote, He misread that as every one of them had actually spent at least 10,000 hours practicing. So somehow they passed this magical boundary. Instead, some students had more and some had less. Second, 10,000 hours didn't turn them into world-class performers. Erickson and his team used, quote-unquote, promise for international performance as violinists as the guiding fact for categorizing this group. But, to, but, but potential to be world-class is not the same as being world-class, Erickson writes in Salon. There were very good promising students who were likely headed to the top of their field, but they still had a long way to go at the time of the study. The third and perhaps most important distinction, distinction between what Gladwell popularized and what Erickson's research showed is that it's not about the hours of practice. It's about deliberate practice. He says, that's the kind of practice where you're not actually doing your job. You're actually taking time where you're focusing in on and trying to improve. Erickson said, he goes on, in particular, when you do that under the guidance of a master teacher so the teacher would be able to actually tell you what is going to be the next step here in your development that is the kind of practice that we talked about as being essential to reach the highest level of performance gladwell and erickson agree that talent is the product of rigorous practice and outliers gladly i'm sorry gladly gladwell aimed to show you that but he didn't show you how Erickson, however, picks up where Gladwell leaves off by outlining what deliberate practice is and how to put it to work for you. But to get there, we first have to come to terms with how to spend 10,000 hours and what we'll get after we've spent them. Next one is going to be, and I have all these articles, guys, so if you guys want this, don't think I'm pulling all this out of my ass. These are legit articles, and then this is next one's going to be, and then I wish I would have done it sooner. The Great Practice Myth, Debunking the 10,000-Hour Rule. <clears throat> this is the 10 hour, 10,000 hours of what? All practice isn't equal. If you wanted to get better at shooting a bow and arrow, would it be the same thing to experiment on your own for three hours as it would to practice with an expert for three hours who is giving you tips on form and technique and getting better? The answer is self-evident. And this is the first flaw of the 10,000-hour rule. It focuses on the quantity of time practicing, not the quality of practice. And not all practice is equally helpful. That's completely fucking true. Um, You practice um, with anyone in a given field. 
and if they're lazy or complacent or just don't have the drive or passion to help you out, whether it be on a volleyball team, on a golf team, uh, on a badminton team, whatever it might be. If no one has the drive and if they're lazy, uh, this is one of those things I learned too. To become the best, you have to wrestle the best. So I made it a point any time we practice with another school, I would go after the best team dude on their team. I would, I would go after the best team. I would go after the best dude on their team <clears throat> and make it a point to wrestle them because I wanted to get better. And it goes for anything though, but like it, it's one of those weird and possibly flawed theories, but I felt I got better because if you wrestle with someone sloppy, you look like you don't know what you're doing on a wrestling mat. But it's the same thing with boxing too or any physical sport. Um, if they're flailing around, it makes you look sloppy, if that makes sense, just to give you some insight on that. Gladwell doesn't differentiate between types of practice, even though it's a, it's a really important distinction. The best way to get better at something is through something known as deliberate practice, which basically means practicing in order to get better. Doing activities recommended by experts to develop specific abilities, identifying weaknesses and working to correct them and intentionally pushing yourself out of your own comfort zone. The distinction between deliberate practice aimed at a particular goal and generic practice is crucial. So there you go. Generic, I guess, is the, the example I gave you. Erickson says, because not every type of practice leads to improved ability. There you go. Same thing. You don't get benefits from mechanical repetition, but by adjusting your execution over and over until you get closer to achieving your goal. <clears throat> Again, agreed. Repetition is a huge thing of becoming better at anything, in my opinion. Do you guys disagree? Continuing on, deliberate practice is often guided by an expert, skilled coach, or mentor. Mentor, someone with an expert eye. According to best-selling author Daniel Goleman, these coaches and mentors are offering feedback on specific ways to improve, and without such feedback, you get you don't get to the top of the ranks. The feedback matters and the concentration does too, not just the hours. So don't be complacent. Don't be a lazy fuck. So does the 10,000 hour rule hold up if it's 10,000 hours of deliberate focused practice with experts? No, it still doesn't. Practice makes perfect or 25% perfect. A recent meta-analysis by Case Western Reserve University psychologist Brooke McNamara and her colleagues found that deliberate practice and skill are related, but far from perfectly related. Oh, you got to check the time. Sorry, guys. Um, deliberate practice hours predict 26% of skill variation in games such as chess, 21% for music, and 18% for sports. This is the second biggest flaw of the 10,000-hour rule. It leads to a misconception that anyone can become an expert in, an, in a given area by putting in the time. I kind of I back that up because no matter how much time you put into something, uh, you just caught a – you got to look at, at, at people and kids sometimes like, oh, dude, don't don't quit your day, day, your day job, dude. Like you, you suck. Like this is not your fucking thing. Like – and that's heartbreaking to hear too. Like I mean it, it, it is, right? Um, like, oh, put that bow and arrow down. You're going to fucking shoot your eye out, kid. It is one of those, those things. So I kind of back that up. But clearly, since deliberate practice hours predicted only 20 to 25% of skill levels, there are other factors at play. 
researchers have been able to pinpoint a view of them, including age and genetics. There you go. That's a huge thing, too. Age groupers. Uh, the age at which someone gets involved in an activity seems to play a role in their ability to achieve mastery. Which, again, is, is a huge thing. If a kid latches onto something at such a young age, you want to encourage it, but you don't want to force it to the point where they hate it so much, where they hate doing it. Which, honestly, you see on, on the gymnastics, on the Olympics, like, you can see it in so many fucking sports where you look at the dad or the mom, and you know for a fact, motherfucker's an asshole, or that mom's a bitch. Not just because she has bitch face, but you can tell. She's been shoving this down her kid's fucking throat. Sorry, guys. As with language learning, there are there may be a window during childhood when specific complex skills are most easily acquired. Age groupers. Cognitive psychologists Fernand, I'm sorry, Fernand Gobet and Guillermo Campitelli found that chess players who started early reached higher skills levels as adults than those who started later, even after taking into account differences in deliberate practice hours. Of course, genetics play a role as well. A lot of best research on the role of genetics in acquiring certain abilities comes from studying. You guessed it, twins. Psychologist Robert Plowman led, led research at King's College London that found more than 15,000 twins in the United Kingdom and had them perform on a series of tests and fill out questionnaires. And some of the findings are quite remarkable identical twins drawing ability was much more highly correlated than fraternal twins didn't know that fraternal twins drawing ability since identical twins share 100 of their genes whereas fraternal twins share only 50 percent these findings indicate that differences between people in basic artistic ability is at least in part due to genetics Using the same data set, over half the variation between skilled and less skilled readers was found due to genetics. Another series of studies led by psychologist Miriam Mosin of the ooh, Karolinska Institute in Sweden tested more than 10,000 twins on their basic music abilities, like whether two melodies carry the same rhythm in relation to how much they have practiced music. What they found is that while genes influenced 38% of the musical abilities they measured, no evidence found that the amount of practice influenced those abilities. That is to say, an identical twin who practiced music regularly was not any more likely to be good at these abilities than the identical twin who did not practice. This doesn't mean there's no point in practicing music. There are certainly musical skills that you can improve with practice, like reading music and playing the keyboard. But it does not indicate that there are limits to the power of practice. Not everyone could become an expert violinist even with 10,000 hours of practice. And I think I'm one of those. Fucking sign me up for that same thing, lady. I agree. There is some innate ability. Wow, there you go. I'm foreshadowing, sorry. There is some innate ability necessary to become a master in a field. Malcolm Gladwell got one thing right, without a doubt. It takes many years of concerted effort and practice to become a true expert in a field. But while the time spent practicing is important, it is far from the only factor. Your genetic makeup, when you start, and how you learn all combine to determine how many hours it would take you to master a specific craft, or quote-unquote, if mastery, quote-unquote, is possible at all. Consider the research of master chess players by those cognitive psychologists Ferdinand Gobet and Guillermo Campitelli. They found there were actually huge differences. 
in the number of hours of practice it took chess players to reach a specific level. The number of hours to reach quote-unquote master status ranged from 728 hours to 16,120 hours, meaning some players needed 22 times more practice hours than others to reach the same skill level. The 10,000-hour rule is a myth. Let's let's rename it. This is a funny ending to this article. Let's rename it the 728 to 16,110 hour rule. All right, guys. Uh, yeah, let's finish it up. Last one right here. Read beyond the 10,000 hour rule, three research-backed principles of practice. If you want to get a deep, to go deeper and learn more about practice, here are some recommended articles, which I have. And if you guys want these, please hit me up. Contrary to decades of bad advice to leave emotions, quote unquote, out of it, research has made it abundantly clear. Emotions play a critical role in learning. In order to practice and improve most effectively, you must set the ideal biological conditions for learning. Learn why keeping emotions out of it is actually a disaster and what learning looks like at a neurological level. Learn why keeping emotions out of it is actually a disaster. Okay, there you go. Number two, mental practice is surprisingly powerful. Whether you're learning and practicing a new skill or preparing for performance, studies have found mental practice to be remarkably effective. To learn more, we have another link, Envisioning Success, The Power of Mental Practice. And number three, what's the single biggest factor required to practice and practice and keep practicing? Motivation. Without Without sustainable motivation, the practice loses focus or drop it entirely. Practice takes on meaning and relevance when the goal is connected to purpose and long-term values. All right, guys. So those are articles I pulled up and had to put in specific order to break down this theory and thought practice. And have you guys ever heard of the 10,000 hour rule? Does it make sense? And does any of it make sense? And do you agree or disagree with any of it? And these are my finding, uh, final closing out uh, words. So here we go. To close out, do you believe in motiv- motivation, work, work ethic, luck, repetition, Facts, science, belief in yourself, not just others believing in you, but you believing in yourself. Doubt, self, self-doubt, doubt from others that you feel you need to prove them wrong. Religion, like I have a reason or a purpose to do X skill. Or can it just be heart? The heart to pick yourself up, no matter how beat up and broken you are, just to keep on fighting in any sport or field. That weird motivation. Another thought I have also is, if you don't believe in yourself, if you don't have the heart, you kind of already lost. You gave up on yourself. I know that's a little drastic. And guess what? I'm probably wrong. But again, this is all subjective. How do you feel? We keep working at it, right? We keep attacking it. And yeah, you you hopefully share your knowledge with others and in turn, you keep learning and hopefully refine your own skills as well. All right, that's all I got. Uh, that was an interesting one, guys. Uh, I've been sitting on that one for a while, so I'm glad I finally got to write that up last night. Uh, all right. 
share the podcast um, in iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, anywhere you guys can find podcasts. You guys can always hit the comicsyndicate.podmenu.com for the full library. All right, guys, I'll catch you when I catch you. Peace out.